welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Awaken. My name is Micah. Very glad to meet you, or see you, I should say. Um, we're going to begin this morning with a call to worship. Today is the last Sunday of Epiphany. And so this prayer is uh, in light of that as we celebrate the, the light of God coming into the world. So uh, I'd invite you to stand in body or in spirit as we begin this morning. Hear this prayer. Light of God, illumine the path that leads us to healing, hope, and salvation. Glory of God, fill this sanctuary and expose the darkness that stalks our souls. Light of God, shine with such brightness that we marvel in awe of you. And glory of God, fill each temple of your Holy Spirit present today. Light of God, glory of God, we welcome you in this place. Let's join our voices in song together. Again, my name is Micah, one of the pastors here at Awaken, and really glad that you're with us today. Um, if you are new, we'd love to know you were here. So in the seat pockets in front of you there or the pews, there are some cards you can fill out. You can also find those online. Uh, somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice should you fill one of those out. Uh, if you have tithes or offerings or any of those cards, you can put them in the black boxes at each of the exits if you fill them out here. Grateful for those gifts. Uh, a couple of things we want to let you know are coming. Um, tomorrow, Monday, is uh, Mondays with Micah. So twice a month, I'll host a little men's breakfast. Uh, tomorrow is in Minneapolis at Turtle Bread and Longfellow. Uh, so if you are in the neighborhood and want to join for breakfast at 7 a.m., I'll be there with a few of the other men of Awaken. There is also a, uh, a coffee and conversation being hosted by our second half of life crew here at Awaken. So that's happening at Wildflyer. That'll be February 20th. Uh, Wildflyer is just down here on West 7th, and that's 10 to 11.30. So if you're interested in that, join our second half of life folks there for that. Um, Ash Wednesday is this week and the beginning of Lent. So that's Wednesday night. Uh, we'll have a gathering at 6.30 if you're available for that. Kind of a traditional um, Ash Wednesday gathering, so join us for that if you'd like as we kick off Lent. Uh, and related to that, I want to let you know about Easter. That's coming, uh, the beginning of the Easter season. Uh, and we are going to have three gatherings on Easter Sunday, 9, 10, 30, and noon. So we're just letting you know about that. There's going to be uh, an opportunity for you to register for those, not because we're going to like collect tickets on Easter Sunday morning, but more just so we can kind of get a sense as to who's planning to come when so we don't have 500 people show up to one gathering like we did at Christmas Eve. So trying to manage our... Uh, 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 our space a little bit better for that event. So that's Easter uh, 9, 10, 30, and noon. And then last but not least, uh, we are hosting prom again. So March the 1st, I'm pretty sure. Yes, it's going to be a great time. Um, if you were able to make it last year, we're, we're doing it again. So that's 7 p.m. If you want to dance, great. If you don't, great. That's fine. Um, it's for everybody. So please join us for prom. That'll be a fun night. You can register online for that. Everything's in our Awaken Weekly that goes out on Thursdays. So you can subscribe if you are not. And now uh, I have the privilege and honor of uh, introducing my good friend Jim Bear Jacobs. Uh, if you've been on our Sacred Sites tour that we've done together, Jim Bear has uh, led those and has been doing that in the cities for uh, a long time. Um, just a wealth of knowledge and um, a very well-respected and um, important voice in our city that we're lucky to have. Uh, and so I'm really grateful to learn from and to have you here. Uh, so would you please welcome my friend Jim Bear Jacobs. Good morning, friends. Put together. This is probably the fourth time in the last three years that I've worn a suit. So I hope you <laughs> hope you recognize the effort I'm putting in and will in turn return some effort. Aho, Kunamante, Ni Tijinji Makwa, Jimber Jacobs, Ni Tak de Langamau, Ni Mehikanu, Nakakusatawa, Kunamante, Nishik, Nishik, Weiwenet. I give you greetings and I introduce myself as Bear. 
or Jim Bear Jacobs. Please just call me Jim Bear. I am from the Turtle Clan, and I am a citizen of the Stockbridge Muncie Band of Mohican Indians. And with goodness in my heart, I extend my gratitude to each and every one of you who is gathered today. I am under some kind of understanding that uh, later this afternoon, sports people will be sportsing. Uh, with your help and God's grace, we'll be out of here just in time for kickoff. Uh, I do enjoy when uh, a, a church has multiple services that I preach at because, you know, the first service is the throwaway service. You work out all the bugs and the kinks. And so now, now I'm ready. Uh, our text for today comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3. Now, um, I should tell you that if you are one of those types of people who enjoys a very well put together sermon with three points, a concluding paragraph and a charge, um, you know, filled with textual breakdowns and Hebrew and Greek history, um, if that's you, I can only apologize in advance because that's not me. I, um, I mean, I'm an, I'm an average preacher. Like, I don't know that I would roll out of bed to hear myself preach kind of preacher, you know? But like, if you happen to be in the same room when it's happening, you might stick around. So I'm, I'm an average preacher, but uh, where I'm gifted and where I feel and I'm told that I excel is as a storyteller. So today's sermon you want to call it a sermon, will be largely a story. And I hope you're okay with that. And uh, if not, you can deal with it. Um, because I'm up here and you're down there. So. Uh, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's important to understand a little bit about the context. And what we have here is uh, the Galatian church is a church that was founded by Paul and is now really right on the cusp of fracturing. Uh, different factions around uh, Galatia are preaching uh, different things. And some of Paul's original followers, uh, or sheep disciples, if you will, are at risk of being led astray. And Paul desperately is trying to keep this church, his church that he founded, to keep it together. And it is speaking to these fractured divisions. And in this context that Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 28, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, and there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, in the church that I grew up in, it was um, a very fundamentalist, very, very conservative, uh, very white Pentecostal church. And um, if you know anything about Pentecostals, um, they, they, they run the gamut from like a decent enough church all the way down to like the snake handlers in the South and everything. And uh, chances are, if you've ever seen, um, you know, a TikTok clip or a meme of a bunch of people dancing around the aisles, banging tambourines, chances are that's a Pentecostal church. Uh, that's the church I grew up in, but we were a suburban church, so, you know, we would clap our hands. Um, occasionally dance in the aisles, but uh, 
I never did see any snakes in the, in the worship service, for which I'm grateful. But, um, and I had the unique uh, upbringing that the church that I grew up was a, as I said, very conservative, very evangelical, very fundamentalist. If those words don't mean anything to you, honestly, don't worry about it. You're not missing anything. Um, but the church that I grew up in was a uh, incredibly white suburban megachurch. So we had, you know, three to 4,000 people uh, on, on a Sunday. And it's in this context that I'm growing up, and like all kids who grow up, they start to notice things. And I start to notice uh, this concept of race. You know, differences. And ever since I had this consciousness about race and would talk to any of my pastors or, or spiritual leaders, this verse in Galatians was always cited. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither free nor slave. There's neither male nor female. For all are one. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Jim Bear, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. These differences you're noticing, don't worry about it. Because we're Christian. We're in Christ. And those differences don't exist. We're all one. As a teenager, when I really started noticing not only the difference in race, but also the, the societal disparities across race lines. I started noticing uh, those kinds of disparities when racial injustice became part of my vocabulary. As I noticed them and as I questioned and called out to my spiritual leaders, advisors, pastors, and mentors, the trouble I was having reconciling these disparities. Not only for myself as an indigenous person, but also just noticing the disparities among the congregations. In a white suburban megachurch, white people drove better cars than the people of color. Maybe we're dressed fancier. And as I began to start calling these out, I remember distinctly one Sunday in a sermon, the pastor, um, and I should say, between services, it came to mind the context of... Um, of this sermon that I heard. And it was um, somewhat in the wake of the Rodney King beating, if you remember that, and the incredible unrest that followed. And it was shortly after that, as literally uh, Los Angeles is in flames, I hear this uh, snippet Preach from the pulpit, using Galatians 3.28, in which the pastor declared, God is colorblind. God sees no color. What good news? Or is it? Is it good news? I mean, to me, it just seems stupid. If God sees no color, why the hell did he create so many colors? Like, honestly. If there is no inherent or intrinsic value 
in the color of my skin or the color of your skin? If there's no value in it, why create the difference? It's dumb. Why the difference? If we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, as we read this verse in Galatians, how is this good news? Is this good news? I mean, it's good news for Paul. You see, as Paul calls into vision this Christian utopia, free from cultural difference, free from gender difference, free from socioeconomic difference, as Paul calls that vision of utopia into existence, it is worth pointing out that in this utopia, Paul loses nothing. You see, none of Paul's identities are any of the identities that get erased when it gets swallowed up by the dominant culture. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Well, Paul is Jewish, but he's also a Roman citizen. Paul is, conveniently enough, could be categorized as both Jew and Gentile. There is no male nor female. Well, Paul is male, and Paul, like today, existed in a patriarchal system in which women were overwhelmingly silenced, marginalized, abused. Women were essentially not fully human. So as a male, Paul's humanity remains intact. He doesn't lose anything. There's neither slave nor free. There is no socioeconomic difference, which, again, Paul is free. Paul neither has to struggle for his own liberation, nor does he lose anything. It's not like as a free man he becomes bound to servitude. So Paul's identity remains 100% intact. So in this Christian utopia, this is very good news for Paul. You see, Paul lived in a context. We live in a context. In Paul's day, there was a dominant culture. In our day, there is a dominant culture. And we as the church who are endeavoring to follow and bring Paul's words into existence, we as followers of Christ, we better make sure that we're, the good news we're espousing is actually good news. Because see, if we go headlong into the future looking for a raceless, classless, genderless utopia, then that's good news for those of us who live in proximity to that dominant culture, but it is most definitely not good news for those who don't. You see, we as a church, we are, uh, as much as we try to be or claim to be countercultural, we are a condition of our culture which means left to its own devices, if you have a church in a white supremacist patriarchal society, you will have a white supremacist patriarchal church. And unless you actively work to undo and tear down those systems, that's what your church will be, white supremacist and patriarchal. And I say that only with um, minimal judgment 
Like, like I don't think the church is filled with bad people. I just recognize that if we are apathetic, that is the path we will just naturally follow. White supremacy and patriarchy and homophobia and all of this will be the natural way unless we actively work against the, the, the momentum. And so if we, if we are called to speak the good news, then we better make sure it is good news for everyone. And I got to be honest, um, as a preacher, I like about 60% of what Paul says. I'm frustrated that Paul uh, could not see past his own privilege, could not see past his own station, and really uh, self-interrogate the gospel that he was writing. Because I can tell you, as an indigenous person, a person whose racial identity makes up only 0.8% of this nation's population, I can tell you that if we are moving forward in this raceless, uh, classless, genderless utopia, guess what? A large part of my identity gets erased. Because I will be forced to assimilate into that culture. And so, maybe what we need, now believe me, there are times when I would just love to like rip out the parts of the Bible that I don't really like all that much. Um, but something about my super conservative upbringing says that that's a no-no. So maybe what we need is we need to create a new hermeneutic as we read Paul. Now, hermeneutic is just a fancy word that I paid a lot of money in seminary to acquire. So I, I mean, I already put the suit on. I got to use the words, right? Hermeneutic is just, a, it, it just basically means a way of interpreting, uh, a, a way of collectively understanding. And so maybe when we read Galatians, we need to develop a new hermeneutic, a new way of reading, a new way of interpreting and understanding. And that's where story comes in. Are you ready for story? Seriously? Yes. I mean, I'm putting in the effort, people. The suit... Are you ready for story? Thank you. Was that so hard? <laughs> Promise you, you will get to the game. You'll be eating nachos and tossing back beer before you know it, okay? The church that I serve as an associate pastor is very different than the church I grew up in. It's a church that I, through years of living in community, have just fallen in love with this church. It's a church that is dedicated to breaking down and dismantling white supremacy, patriarchy, socioeconomic disparities. But a number of, a number of years ago, our senior pastor came to me one day and said, Jim Bear, we want to uh, we were thinking of taking a team out to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. If you don't know, Pine Ridge is on the other side of South Dakota. We've, we've gone to Pine Ridge in years past with teams and have developed good relationships with some of the people out there. And uh, th those past trips were before I had come on staff and before I had joined this community, so I knew nothing of them. Um, and PJ, that's we call our, our senior pastor, PJ says, we want to bring a team back out there and we'd like you to lead that. And um, 
You know, I, I had history with this church at this point, uh, but I just wanted to check in because as an indigenous person, anytime I hear about churches sending teams out to reservations, there's like all the hairs on the back of my neck start firing. And so I said, I said well, before I commit to that, let's just, let's just talk about this. I said, if any part of your interest in going to Pine Ridge is for you to communicate the good news down into the poor, destitute, savage little Indians, then I want no part. I don't want anything to do with that. And I think I even went so far as to say, if that is your motivation, then I'm done here at the church. And PJ says, no, absolutely not, Jimber, absolutely not. We want nothing to do with that typical evangelical trip to an Indian reservation. We want our congregation and key members of our congregation, we want our congregation to understand the devastating effects of white supremacy, of doctrine of discovery, of manifest destiny, and in order to understand the full effects of those ideologies, we need to sit in relationship with those for whom the impact was felt the most. And I said, okay, so long as you understand that we are going on this trip and the only people, the absolute only people who are going to get saved is us. And he said, yes. And I said, okay, let's do it. So we put a team together. There's about 17 of us in total. And we drove, uh, we drove out to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. You gotta drive all the way across South Dakota to do it. Now, if you've ever driven across South Dakota going from east to west, you know that um, South Dakota is beautiful right before you leave South Dakota. <laughs> Uh, like if there's a way to skip the eight hours between here and the last 50 miles of South Dakota, find a way to skip it. But um, we drive all the way out. Like I said, there's like 17 of us. We're in uh, three or four large uh, vehicles caravanning our way out there. We were quite a convoy heading out. And uh, when you get into the beautiful part of South Dakota, you really have to stop. And we had this occasion where we stopped at the, uh, at the Badlands National Park. And there's an area where you can, you know, park your car in a parking lot and you can walk down this little trail. And it's this great, beautiful overlook of the Badlands. And if you are unfamiliar with the Badlands, find an occasion to go visit. It is really unlike any landscape you could ever experience. It's not mountainous, it's not prairie, it's somewhere in between. It has this feeling that uh, you are standing amongst ancient, ancient, ancient rock formations. And um, so there we are, we're, we're I mean, we're there. We're, we're, we're being as touristy as we can be. Just looking at all the beauty, you know, and everything, watching the bighorn sheep and the prairie dogs pop their little heads up and everything, and it's all cute, and it's all wonderful. And uh, we're up high, and, like, the Badlands kind of stretches out below us and in front of us. And uh, I don't know how long we stay there, but um, comes a time where it's time for us to head back to our vehicles and... Uh, and get on to our destination because we were not yet um, on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And so we go to get back to our vehicles and as I'm walking back, I see in the bedrock at my feet this straight line, like a little fault line. It was probably, you know, three inches wide, uh, but it was a straight line. Now, when you're indigenous and... Um, you know certain things about the created world so that within creation, within the natural world, it is incredibly rare to see straight lines. 
Nature just does not create straight lines as a general rule. Everything is circular, everything is curved, everything is wibbly and wobbly. So straight lines don't really occur that, all that often. So as an indigenous person, um, you know, and I mean this like not in the goofy stereotypical like, oh, I'm in touch with creation and I speak to animals, but I'm, I, I, I notice things about creation and I, as I'm walking, notice this straight line and I start to think, well, this is odd. It's a straight line. I wonder if it's pointing to something. So I follow the straight line in this direction. It just kind of disappears under some prairie grasses and into the side of a hill, and it just there's, there's nothing of significance there. So I follow the straight line in the other direction. And over here, it brings me to the edge of a precipice, the, this, this vista uh, that we had been standing uh, on. You know, and I'm... I don't know, 150 feet above the, the, the floor below, and this straight line is pointing straight off in this direction. And, and about a quarter mile, half mile off in that direction is this other rock formation, like this big um, rock formation that just kind of juts up out of the grass. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what is this straight line pointing to? And I'm studying that rock formation. I'm looking... I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm trying. I, like, my Indianness was turned up to 11. You know, I'm like, what, what, why, why is there a straight line? What am I supposed to see? What incredible lesson of the universe is going to fall into me? And, I mean, I got to be honest, I, I saw nothing. There was nothing over there. And I was just like, well, that's disappointing. Really disappointing. Thanks a lot, creator. You create a straight line, and then you just, you don't even finish the work. So I turn to head back to the vehicles, and as I turn, my gaze moves from a quarter mile to a half mile in that direction to right here. Six feet in front of me, six to seven feet below me. Straight lines pointing right at it. Right here. And what I see doesn't sound all that impressive until we get a little, wait a couple of seconds, because we might get really impressed. What I see is a, is a rock spire. It's just a formation. In the Badlands, like, millennia of time have worn all the hard edges off of the rocks. So everything is is wrinkly and craggly, but it's this rock spire right here. And I look at this rock spire and I said, oh my God, oh my God. And one of the, one of the young women, Rebecca, who was um, standing kind of close to me, she hears my exclamation and she says, what? What? And I said, look. Look at what the straight line was pointing to. And she looks and she says, it's a rock spot. Kind of in that, what's the big deal kind of way. There are spires everywhere. And I said, no, look, look, what do you see? And after about 30 seconds, Rebecca says, oh my God. Yeah, what do you see? She said, it's a mother and child. It's an indigenous mother carrying her baby on her back. And like I said, in the Badlands, the, the texture of the, the landscape is just all wrinkly and it's all, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's ancient. It's, it's old, old rock. But here in this spire, there was a portion, perfectly smooth, rounded face. And her hair 
cascaded down her shoulders. And just peeking over her right shoulder was another smaller, perfectly smooth, round face. Mother carrying her child on her back. And as I beheld this incredible sight, a memory came to me of a saying, a saying that the indigenous people out in that area have used during their times of troubles. And that saying is that the people are not defeated so long as the hearts of the women are not laying on the ground. As long as women are standing, then the people are not defeated. And here, etched in stone, for centuries probably, was a woman and her daughter. Heads up, chins high, face to the future, hearts most definitely not laying on the ground. And I felt such a spiritual high, such an incredible high. I went to another leader in our group, Bob. Now, Bob um, was the only other Native person in our team. Bob came into my life at a time when I desperately needed Bob to be in my life and quickly became my closest friend, uncle, mentor. Um, Bob, was, Bob is an incredible human being, and I often tell people when I have an occasion to introduce Bob to them, I said, if you ever want the most amazing experience in your life, start a campfire, sit Bob down in front of the campfire, put a cup of coffee in one hand and a cigarette in the other, and just buckle up, because the rest of your night is going to be nothing but you learning from a master. I call him the Indian Buddha. He's just, he, like, he's just wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And I called Bob aside, and I'm like, Bob, look at this, look at this. And we both agreed, like, yeah, this is beautiful. And, like, the straight line is pointing right to it. And, like, all the, you know, stuff is combining to tell this perfect narrative. And, and we drive away from the Badlands eventually, and I'm just, like, I'm just riding this wave of, like, really good, positive feeling and emotion. But we have an appointment on the Pine Ridge Reservation we have to get to. And uh, in order to get to that appointment, we have to drive through a part of town or an area called White Clay, Nebraska. Now, I had heard of White Clay, Nebraska. It had a reputation. Those of us in Indian country knew of White Clay, Nebraska. But having never seen White Clay, Nebraska, I had mistakenly assumed that everything I had seen in media or news articles was a microcosm of a larger town. You see, White Clay, Nebraska, now I must uh, add the caveat that the story of White Clay today is very different than the White Clay I experienced, okay? Uh, so... If you go and visit, drive through White Clay, Nebraska, your experience will be very different than what I experienced. Uh, but at the time, White Clay, Nebraska had the second highest sales of alcohol in the entire state of Nebraska, second only to Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, as I said, I always thought that what I was seeing reported of White Clay was a microcosm, a neighborhood, if you will, uh, a few blocks, if you will, of a larger town. That, I quickly learned, was not the case. White Clay, Nebraska is a town that at the time only 12 people lived in. 12 people. At the time, when you went through White Clay, Nebraska, you could not stop at a grocery store, you could not stop at a church, you could not stop at any kind of building, but you could stop at liquor stores, because that's all there was. 
That's all there was. Now, the context that is important to understand as we move forward in this story is that the Pine Ridge Reservation sits as a really rather large rectangle in the southwest corner of South Dakota. And the Pine Ridge Reservation is a dry reservation. What I mean by that is you cannot purchase alcohol on the Pine Ridge Reservation. You cannot consume alcohol on the Pine Ridge Reservation. You legally cannot drive alcohol across the border of the reservation in your car. There are stations where you are invited to stop and dump out any alcohol you might have in your car. They don't want it in the reservation at all. It is a dry reservation. And the county or national seat of the Pine Ridge Reservation is the city of Pine Ridge, which sits very close to the southern border of the Pine Ridge Reservation. A half mile across the border of the Pine Ridge Reservation, crossing from South Dakota into northern Nebraska, is the town of White Clay and all of its 12 residents. White Clay, Nebraska, at the time that I had visited, sold over a million cans of beer annually not to mention the harder spirits. And what would happen generally on the first of the month, because that's when the checks would come out and be issued, is the chemically dependent people who lived on Pine Ridge would walk that half mile into White Clay, they would cash their checks, and they would just drink the entirety of their checks. It was always worse. It was always the worst on the first of the month. That's when the checks came. We were now driving through on July 2nd. And as we come through white clay, I'm driving, driving one of the vehicles. And I literally have to apply the brakes, slow down, and swerve my car around the unconscious bodies of people who have walked a half mile, cashed their check, and drank themselves into unconsciousness right in the middle of the street. Bob, the other leader, native leader in our group, was not in my vehicle. He was in a different car. But instantly in that moment as we're passing through that hellish place, I can feel his spirit and he can feel mine. And it was this moment of Remember, I had just come from that moment in the Badlands, riding of spiritual high, feeling so incredibly proud to have had the, the, the honor to witness. The people are not defeated so long as the hearts of the women are not laying on the ground and here is etched in stone this woman whose heart is most definitely not laying on the ground, standing proud, standing defiant, to now, to now, I literally have to maneuver my car around the bodies of women whose hearts are laying on the ground. And I could feel Bob's spirit, and I know he could feel mine, and in that moment, the only way I can describe it is, is I had a feeling, a feeling that I did not have the language to describe, but was not unfamiliar to me. And like I said, we had an appointment on the Pine Ridge Reservation. I think our team was going to be shown some art installation at some place, and uh, as soon as we had entered White Clay, Nebraska, we were out of White Clay, Nebraska. It is just a block. 
And within five minutes, we are at our destination on Pine Ridge, and the entire team spills out of the cars, and they go off into the building to have the experience that was scheduled for us. And there's me, and there's Bob, just standing in the parking lot. And we just look at each other, and we start to cry. And I start to cry, and he says, I know, Jim Bear, I know. He said, let's go sit down, and we find the shade of a tree sitting on the side of a small hill. And we sit there together, and we cry. We share a cigarette. I don't even smoke, but in that moment, I just needed something. And we cry. We stayed there for the duration of, of whatever activity our team was doing, and eventually the team comes out, and by then we had wiped our tears away, and we're just sitting. And our team comes out, and, and you know, and our team is sensitive enough to know that, hey, that was probably a pretty traumatic experience driving through white clay, but we neither have the words nor the spiritual capacity to know how to redress this. We don't know how to speak life into the spirits of our leaders. And so it was a, an awkward drive as we made our way to where we were staying. And, I mean, I don't know how to describe the rest of my day that day other than to say I was, I was noticeably off I was off. I, I was short, short-tempered with people. I was snapping and swearing much more than I normally would. And I wasn't mad at my team or I wasn't upset at anyone. I was just, I was off. That evening, Bob and I, we, we smudge each other. It's, just, it's a ritual of cleansing. We smudge each other and we go to sleep and we hope and pray that when we wake up in the morning, this heaviness, this offness will be gone. The morning comes and, and the offness is, is lighter, but it's not gone. It's still there. The remnants are there. And, and, and our, our, you know, the, the senior pastor, PJ, comes, comes to me and says, hey, Jim Bear, we got an invitation to go and visit a, a friend of the congregation who lives out here. His name is Mike. Uh, he's been a friend of the congregation for a number of years, and he's a great um, civic leader for the Lakota people. And he's invited some of us to go and just visit with them. And I'd like you to come along. We, we don't have the capacity to bring the whole group, but we'll just load up one or two cars and we'll go out there. So would you like to come along? And I said, sure. And I think, so we load up our vehicles, and I think there's like 11 of us in total. Bob elected not to come with us. He wanted to just stay and have a time of some relaxing back at the, the lodge we were staying in, so Bob was not with us. And, and we drive out. We eventually find Mike's house, and, um, which was a challenge, because if you know anything about rural reservations, you know that uh, conventions like like addresses haven't really landed on some of these reservations. And so um, we're following the, the directions we're, we're given, which is like, turn left past the crooked tree, you know, stuff like that. And we eventually, we find uh, Mike's driveway, and you cannot see Mike's house from the road, because his driveway is like a mile and a half or two miles long. And we, we find his house, and Mike meets us at the front door, and he says, I'm glad to have you. He says, come around to the back. We'll sit up on the deck, and, and we'll just we'll visit with each other. So we go around, climb the steps to the back of the house, and I turn around to look off the deck, and uh, there is no way to describe Mike's backyard, 
but from horizon to horizon is nothing but untouched prairie. Absolutely untouched. You can't see a road. You can't see power lines. You can't see buildings. You can't see houses. There's nothing out there except pristine, beautiful prairie. And we're, we, we sit down in a circle to visit and have our conversation. And I'm sitting here, and, and Mike is sitting here, and everyone else is arranged in a circle. And we're having this conversation, and to this day, I, for the life of me, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I remember distinctly um, that Mike is speaking, he's saying something, and he stops right in the middle of his sentence, doesn't finish his sentence, stops in the middle of his sentence, and he looks out over the prairie in this direction. And I look out in the prairie over in this direction. And nobody else in the circle looked in this direction. And Mike started asking of the group, did you hear that? It went around the circle. Did I hear what? What are you talking about? I didn't hear anything. No, I heard nothing. He gets to me. And the last one he gets to. Yeah, I heard that. What'd you hear? I said, there's a song over there. There's a song out there. I said, I hear the drums. I hear the melodies and the voices. The lilting ups and downs, that sing-song indigenous pattern of singing. I said, there's a song out there. And Mike said, yeah. There's a song, isn't there? Yeah. And it was just 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and it faded off into the wind. I heard it. And Mike looks around the circle and he says, I don't know what to tell you. That's really weird. I don't have a neighbor for six miles. There's nothing out there. There's nothing out there. Well, that's kind of weird. And we carry on our conversation, going around the circle. And, you know, we're, we're a diverse group. It's me and Mike are the only Native people in the group, but, you know, the, the rest of the group is mostly white people with some Koreans and a, a guy from India. And, um, uh, you know, so there, there's a fair amount of diversity. And uh, we're, we're continue our conversation. Maybe five, six minutes later, I'm saying something. I'm talking. And again, I don't know what I was, I can't remember what I was talking about. But I'm talking, and in the middle of my sentence, I stop and I look over the prairie in this direction. And I notice Mike looked over the prairie in this direction. Nobody else looked in that direction. And Mike, again, going around the circle, you, you didn't hear that? You can't hear that. I don't hear anything. I don't hear it. What did you hear? What did you, I don't hear it. It gets to me. I heard it. Jim Bear, what did you hear? There's a song out there. I hear it. There is a song. There's a song out there. And again, Mike, this is really weird. I'm not lying when I say my closest neighbor is six miles away. There's nothing out there. Nobody lives out there. Nobody goes out there. There's nothing out there. Man, that's really weird. That's where we left it. We got in our vehicles after visit, concluding our visit. We drove back to the lodge. We concluded our time on the Pine Ridge Reservation. We drove back to Minneapolis. 
And a few weeks later, I have an occasion to, in, on a Sunday morning in church, um, I have an occasion to share this story with a couple of, of people who were not on the trip. And I'm sharing this story with um, a gentleman named Mark. Mark is a kind of a hipster musician guy. And um, I'm telling Mark, you know, the whole story, like, hey, there's a song out there, and I heard it, and Mike heard it, no one else heard it. Um, and then it happened again, and yeah, it was kind of weird. And, and then Mark goes, why? And I said, I'm like, like, what do you mean, why? Like, this isn't, this isn't a question and answer time. This isn't, like, why is not even a, like, there wasn't even a, like, like, like why what? Why? why? Why are you asking why? And he said, why? Why would there be a song out there and out of a group of 12, 13 people, only the two native people are the ones that can hear it. Why? Why would God do that? Why? And I thought, you know, I never thought to ask. Why? So I went to prayer. And I asked Creator, why? The creator said, remember white clay. Oh God, how could I forget? Remember that feeling you had in white clay? That unnameable, yet familiar feeling you had in white clay? Yeah, I remember. Remember how you felt off? the rest of the day and the next day. Yeah. He said that unnameable feeling was shame. It was shame. You were ashamed of being native in that moment. The creator was right. I mean, consciously, I wasn't speaking that shame to myself, but if you're from a marginalized identity, you understand that there are times when you feel on display. And there are times when you're on display that the worst of your people might be blatantly evident. And that's what white clay was for me. Literally driving around the unconscious bodies of the chemically dependent who passed out in the middle of the street. I felt shame. Why? Why? The creator said, your spirit is not meant to carry shame. You, as a native person, are a necessary part of the kingdom. You are a necessary part. Because there are songs out there that only you can hear. And unless you tell them that these songs exist, they will never know. They will never know. So what does that have to do with Paul? How then can we develop new ways of reading Paul? You see... Paul didn't have the advantage that we have of the academic pursuit 
of things like critical race theory, gender studies, LGBTQ uh, identity studies. Paul didn't have any of that. What Paul had was a desperate need to take the differences that he noticed and somehow even the playing field. Not conscious that by evening the playing field, he evens it for himself and eliminates the identities of others. I can't fault Paul for that. But maybe if Paul were here with us today, Rather than saying there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither is there male or female, maybe Paul would say, absolutely, there is Jew and there is Gentile. Absolutely, there is male and there is female. And there is a spectrum between those. Absolutely, there is black and indigenous and white and Asian and Filipino. Absolutely, those identities exist and they are all necessary. And so as we, God's people, as we, followers of Christ, follow our command into living out the kingdom of God here on earth. Maybe it's not about not being able to see past our own privilege or just assuming that those from the marginalized community just want to be like us. Maybe the gospel that Paul would realize in 2024, maybe that gospel looks something like, there's a song out there that I as a native person can hear and you can't. And you need me as part of your community, as part of your kin. So I can tell you what that song sounds like. And maybe there's a gospel of 2024 that says, you know what, Jim Bear? There's a song out there. There's a song out there that black trans women have been singing for decades. And unless you sit down with them and you break bread with them and you enjoy life with them, you will never know the beauty of that song. Maybe that's what Paul was really envisioning. Not a utopia of raceless, genderless, classless homogenization. But maybe Paul was envisioning a kingdom, a kinship, in which every song that creation has for us is brought forward by those who can hear it. And we all get to revel in its harmony. Would you join me for prayer? Gracious Creator, loving God, in your immeasurable creativity, you have thrown songs out into the universe. Songs that no one person Songs that no one community could ever hear in its entirety. As we follow your son, Jesus Christ, into good news for all humanity, tune our ears to listen, open our hearts to receive those beautiful songs. And may we dance in their beauty. May we dance in their beauty. May it be so. Amen.
invite us now into time of silent reflection, meditation. Let us begin that practice of opening our ears, opening our hearts, and receiving. It's good to be together, friends. Jim Bear, thank you so much for your voice, your wisdom, your teaching. Uh, before you go, uh, I want to just let you in on some news that we were made aware of as a community. Um, figure it's better for all of us to be in on this. Um, so some of you know we've been discerning this space and how long it could be our home, uh, wanting to do some weddings that we're not able to do here. And uh, we received news this week, actually, from St. Francis, who owns the building, uh, that they would have chosen not to renew our lease, uh, which ex is up February of 2025. Um, quote, this discernment is being guided by a strong desire for close alignment with our archdiocesan synod vision and goals. Uh, evidently, Awaken's rental of this building is not in that vision. So... Um, I keep hearing this phrase uh, that I keep coming back to, uh, you already know, uh, you already know. And so uh, for the next year, we are in this time of discernment about where we go and uh, what happens next. So um, there's not much more to report than that. Uh, our leadership team is obviously uh, already moving and on, on the road to putting plans together to, for that discernment process. Um, but there's a song that's out there that we're going to need to be listening to, and I trust that the Spirit uh, has given this community the ears that it needs to hear uh, what that might be. Uh, so we want to invite you into that, uh, that time of prayer and discernment and listening. Um, so with that, uh, go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.